Brought to you by the Appleseed. It's like a regular episode. Only shorter. We call them bites. Thanks for joining us for an Appleseed Bite, a mini episode of the show, just a few minutes long, just a single story in case you've only got a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with some great storytelling. We've got some great storytelling for you today. And of course, we bring you a few of these bites each week in preparation for our Thursday full hour-long episode drop, an hour filled with stories for you and your family. This next Thursday episode will feature a great performance by the terrific storyteller and blues musician Reverend Robert B. Jones, who joined us in the Appleseed studio, thrilling our live studio audience with a lot of music and some great storytelling. And that's coming up again on our next Thursday full hour-long episode. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, I'm thrilled to be joined by one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Let's hear a little uh, Simon Brooks story, shall we? Yeah, I love Simon Brooks. Um <laughs> He's, he's a great teller, and this tale is no exception. Um, it's called One Wish. Yeah. And I think as as we listen to it, I think it's good to think about um, how the main character approaches his problem. Yeah. And uh, kind of it's – I like to think about it, and I think you'll see why as, as we listen to it. You won't, uh, you, you won't guess this from uh, 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 by listening to Simon Brooks. But Simon lives in New Hampshire, and uh, we're thrilled to bring you this story called One Wish. Simon Brooks on the Appleseed. David and Deirdre lived in a small cottage. It was run down, there were some holes in the walls, and the roof needed repairing. David was a woodcutter, didn't make much money, and Deirdre, who was a seamstress, didn't bring in that much more. They lived with David's parents, David's da and ma. David's da couldn't work because the arthritis in his hands made it impossible for him to hold any tools. And David's ma, well, her eyesight long ago had faded to darkness. She was now blind. One day, David was out in the woods, gathering wood, cutting the lower limbs off the branches, and he stopped to take lunch. He took out his pasty and his bottle to drink, and sat down on a log that was there, when something caught his eye. He turned, at first thinking that it was a fairly large creature running across the clearing, but when he looked, he saw that it wasn't a large creature at all, but it was a wee person. It was one of the fairy folk, and right behind it was a fox. David leapt up with his axe and ran, shouting at the fox, scaring it away from the fairy. The fairy changed direction, trying to get away from David, thinking that he was after her. The fox had run off some distance. She leapt up onto a log, but a foot went through it. David just watched, amazed that he could see a fairy. He'd never seen a fairy before. There she was, dressed in green. Grasses and and leaves seemed to make up her clothes. The fox saw the trapped fairy and ran back to the creature, looking for its meal. David ran at it, swinging his axe once more, shouting, Leave her alone! Leave her alone! The fox ran off, yelping and squealing. David walked up to the fairy. Are you all right? he said. Well, it'd be a lot better if I wasn't stuck in this log now. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, said David. Uh, Let me help you. And David dropped the head of his axe into the rotten log and turned it, twisting it, forcing the crack that that the... fairy had put a foot through to open up so she was able to free herself. 
They looked at one another. I have some lunch, said David. Would you like to share some? Well, I suppose I could, said the fairy. And the two of them went back to the log. The fairy, who was about knee-high on David, jumped up onto the log and he broke some of his pasty off and handed it to her and ate the rest himself. And they shared the bottle between them. And when they were done, David, still not quite believing that he was sat next to a fairy in the woods, said, Well, I better be getting back on with me work. Well, I suppose you want a wish, don't you? said the fairy. A wish? I'd love a wish. David knew exactly what he'd wish for. He and his wife, Deirdre, had been trying to have a baby but hadn't been very successful. I'd love a wish. You're not getting more than one, though. It's not like you saved me life. You only freed me up from the log. <laughs> I see. No, one wish would be fine. Thank you very much. The fairy reached into a pocket and pulled something out that was silver and shining and gossamer-like, waving in the wind. It looked like stars sewn together. Oh, that's beautiful, said David. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a tinder box. He took out the flint and made a nest out of the tinder and held it down to the fairy. She placed the wish carefully into it and looked up at David. Don't be wishing for anything silly like, you know, don't be wishing for more wishes because that won't work. Think about what you, what you want and, and make a careful wish. All right. Okay, said David as he closed the tinderbox and put it back in his pocket. When he looked up to thank the fairy, she'd already gone. David gathered the wood that he'd collected, gathered the wood that he'd cut down, put it into his cart and made his way quickly home. Deirdre, Deirdre, you won't believe what happened. I saw a fairy. What are you talking about? You saw a fairy? No. I did. I swear I saw a fairy. Look, look, come here. I've got a wish. The fairy gave me a wish. And David told Deirdre about what had happened. He took the tin out of his pocket and opened it. And there was the wish, still looking like a thousand stars sewn together, shimmering and gossamer-like. Oh, I know what we can wish for said Deirdre. I do too, said David, smiling. And then David's ma came into the room. What's that? You, you have a wish? You, you've got a wish? What are you going to wish for? Well, we were thinking of wishing f for a baby for me and Deirdre. We've been trying so hard to get a baby and we've not had one yet. What do you want to do that for? I, I haven't seen your face in I don't know how many years and I, I can barely remember it. She reached up and touched David's face. Why not wish for my eyesight back and, and, and then I can see the baby. You're young, you're healthy, you'll have a child at some time. But, but no, wish for my eyesight back so when you do have a baby I'll be able to see it. A wish. David's dar came in. A wish. What do you want to wish your, your, your mother's eyesight back? You should wish for gold. Then we can pay for a doctor to fix your mother's eyes. You're young enough to have a child. The time will come. You want gold. I mean, look at the holes in the walls of this house. Look at the roof. It needs fixing. How can you bring a child up in a house that's filled with the cold that comes in the winter and the drafts that come through in the summer? No, wish for gold. No, wish for my eyes. Oh, why don't we wish for the baby? And so the argument began. The baby, the gold, the eyesight. David couldn't stand it anymore. He left the cottage and walked out, outside and up onto the top of the hill. The sun was getting lower and lower in the sky. 
The sky was turning from blue to purple to orange to reds and yellows. He sat down under the, under the great oak tree that was on the top of the hill. He watched the clouds changing shape, and he thought of his mother's eyesight. She used to love to sit on the porch and watch the sunset. She'd still sit on the porch, but she couldn't see the colours or the changing clouds. She would just feel the warmth of the sun getting less and less as it dropped below the horizon. And as the colours in the sky changed, David thought of the gold that his father wanted. And then suddenly from, from the forest, he heard the cry of a magpie that sounded like the cry of a baby. And then... David knew what he was going to wish for. He saw a cloud changing shape and the golden sunlight hitting the cloud. Yes, he knew what he'd wish for. He ran back to the cottage and walked in. I know what I'm going to wish for, he said. What? Are you going to wish for a baby? Are you going to wish for my eyes? Are you going to wish for gold? No, no, listen, listen, sit down and listen. David took the tinderbox out of his pocket and opened it. Shining, shimmering, almost invisible, almost not there, like a thousand stars shining, like a thousand stars sewn together with spider's webs. He looked at the wish, and he said in a clear voice, I wish, I wish that my mother could see our child healthy, and happy in a crib made of gold. Over the next few weeks, David's ma's eyesight began to return. She began to see the colours of the, the setting sun and the clouds changing shape. She could see her son's face, her daughter-in-law's face. She could see her daughter-in-law's belly getting larger and larger as Deirdre grew heavy with child. And when the child was born, a golden crib appeared at the foot of their bed. And so, with a few well-chosen, with a few careful words, with one wish, David made three wishes come true. Simon Brooks with a story called One Wish and I'm listening to it not only with you, but with one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, thanks for bringing us that story. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about uh, it, it's a it's a a version of a story that has many versions, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of how do you get as much as you can with just one wish? <laughs> yeah, and I really like. I mentioned at the beginning, it's good to think about how he approaches this problem. Yeah, um, and I think. One of my favorite parts is he doesn't immediately just say, well, I'm just going to have to choose. Yeah. You know, he, <laughs> he takes a step back and he, you know, weighs his options and he's patient about it. Yeah. And eventually the solution comes. And I can't even count how many times in my life where I've been facing, you know, this problem or that problem. And, you know, I sleep on it. Yeah. I wake up the next morning and I'm like, oh, you know, I can do this. Right. You know, and, and uh, you know, just taking a step back and... and 
taking a new perspective or, yeah. you know, waiting a minute. Sometimes some some solutions will come your way. Yeah. And, and you know, certainly there are a lot of stories in my life of doing the other thing too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just <I've>, rushing yeah. <laughs> in and solving the problem in the best way that I can think of in the moment. And then later on thinking, oh, you know what I should have done? Is this, and I think when when we can, it's wise sometimes, right, to do exactly what you're saying, to back off for a moment and say, let, let me let a solution come to me while I've got a moment to think about. Yeah, it. and obviously that can't happen all the time, like yeah. emergency situations or whatever. But sometimes, right. you know, just take a step back. <laughs> we uh, before the story, we told you that you wouldn't uh, uh, you wouldn't know it, but Simon Brooks lives in New Hampshire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, he makes a lot of the notion uh, that he's he he calls himself that English guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and where does he live in New Hampshire? Well, New London, of course, New London, New Hampshire. Always a pleasure to hear uh, Simon Brooks' story. And, of course, you can join us on Thursday for our full hour-long episode of The Appleseed filled with stories for you and your family, including a performance recorded live right here in the Appleseed studio from the Detroit storyteller and blues musician, Reverend Robert B. Jones. You won't want to miss a single word or a single note. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for a bite brought to you by the Appleseed.